the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Philip's name in Greek means lover of horses. The good news man was the lover of horses, and he left the chariot and the horses of the Ethiopian eunuch, and God exported him to a city of horses. Welcome to Reaching Your Heart. Pastor Michael Oxentenko will be here in just a moment with today's message. You know, here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, please call us today at 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Someone is here now to take your prayer request. Today's Reaching Your Heart with Pastor Michael Oxentenko is entitled The Good News Man. We brought you the first portion of this message the last time we were together. We will conclude it now. And thank you so much for listening. Don't forget you can find this broadcast and many more online at reachingyourheart.com. Let's get underway. Here's our pastor teacher, Michael Oxentenko. It would be the place that they would naturally associate with where demons hang out. So this was not what you would want as an evangelist. The angel was sending him on a very hard task with no information. Acts 8.27, it says he rose and went. He didn't argue. He just did what the Lord asked him to do. And behold, an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a minister of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of all of her treasure. Now Luke is careful to say he was an important man, had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Now let's just think of this picture in our mind's eye a little bit. We know in ancient times that Julius Caesar would be in his chariot as he conquered Gaul. He'd be reading manuscripts and everything else. We also know that the ancients made it their practice to read aloud. So if you were beside Julius Caesar's chariot, you would hear him reading. So imagine this man in his chariot as he's driving the horses on his way back to the queen of Ethiopia, reading his Bible out loud in his chariot in the middle of nowhere. Philip sees that. He caught his attention. Wheels begin to turn. Here's a man in the middle of nowhere reading his Bible in his chariot, and there are horses leading that chariot. Now, what's Philip's name mean? Lover of horses. He had to go to the chariot, so he comes up to the chariot. Sees him reading there. And he connects. Look at Acts 8, 29. The Spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him, heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, and asked, do you understand what you're reading? There are very many good people today who love God, who read their Bibles. Can you concur with me? I had some wonderful Jehovah's Witnesses come to my house last week. I always let them in. I treat them with grace. I enjoy their love, their sincerity. If I pray in Jesus' name, they tend to head for the door. That's unfortunate. So I try not to embarrass them in my home. And I've tried to have a meaningful interaction with them. I find them to be honest, good people. And I plan to visit their little kingdom hall down the road to get to know them a little bit. Because you can't win people you don't know. Am I right? But they come to my house often. They figure out that I know Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic, and that... 
I have a knowledge of the name Yahweh in ways they're not used to, they sometimes send their experts to my house. And I appreciate them too. You know, there's no place for rudeness in the Christian church and interacting especially with people outside, is there? There'll be people in the kingdom of God who don't agree with us on some fundamental things because the love of God is in their heart. And I pray for my Jehovah's Witness friends. They're being persecuted in Russia right now. It's unbelievably terrible being pushed out of their kingdom halls. And we should stand for freedom for everyone in this country and around the world. So there are very many good people today who read their Bibles but who do not understand who Jesus is in the Bible. You know, our precious Jehovah's Witness friends do not know that Jesus is God in human flesh, not a created being. When you come to know Jesus for who He is, you come to know the Father for who He is. There are preachers today who say you can't understand the books of Daniel Revelation. You ever heard them? Can't do it. I'm telling you, Jesus said in Matthew 24, 15, there's one book we need to know at the time of the end. It's the book of Daniel. If Jesus says, understand the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, it means that we can understand prophecy at the time of the end. And so people are trying to understand, but they need someone to help them understand. The eunuch was reading a prophecy that he couldn't figure out that pointed to Jesus, and he wanted to know exactly how it did. He couldn't figure it out. There are all kinds of ideas out there, but friends... The Holy Spirit moves on men and women who know Jesus, who know how to share their Bibles, to be personal evangelists, to connect with people who are trying to grow as well. So Philip ran to the man and said, do you know what you are reading? And then verse 31 shows the importance of deliberate personal evangelism in the church. Acts 8.31, and he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, where is he at? He's in the chariot with the horses. I'm sure Philip, whose name means lover of horses, said, sure, let me stand in the chariot with you. I love to have been a fly in the desert that day, buzzing around that chariot when Philip began to explain the scriptures to the man as Philip was playing with the horses too. There's nothing more beautiful than a man or a woman sharing the Bible with someone who needs it. Have you ever seen that? Gone to a home and someone is opening their Bible and sharing it? Taking your Bible out and helping someone, encouraging them, praying for them is huge in the plan of God. Angels get excited when church members give Bible studies, when church members are actively involved in small group fellowships around the Bible, when church members show up for prayer meeting to study the Bible, grow so they can share it, when church members are thinking of how they can win their neighbors rather than ignore them. The Holy Spirit gives direction when church members open their homes and their lives to people who need to understand the Word of God. Well, some people say, well, Pastor Mike, I don't know much about my Bible. I'm not very good at it. Do you realize that you are an expert compared to most of your neighbors? You've been listening to the Bible for years and preaching. You have access to some of the greatest Bible study materials in the world that you don't have to learn everything. You can just follow them and fill in the blanks. And your neighbors will be astounded at what you can teach them with the Word of God. Friends, you are an expert in the Holy Spirit to share the Word of God. You should be nothing less. Every single person in the church should be actively engaged in soul winning. Let me share with you something from my experience. I have a lot of duties as a pastor. Administrative takes up 80% of my life here at Reaching Hearts. I pack my evenings after work, after I've done my work for the church. I pack them with personal time in people's homes to study the Bible. Not as a pastor, but as a member of the church. Because I believe the church can only grow when individuals are sharing the Word of God through prayer and Bible study. 
How many of you are a little afraid of that idea? Raise your hand. I'm afraid of it, Pastor Mike. You can be honest. Go on, raise your hand. I'm not going to chastise you. Raise your hand. If you're afraid of it, I'm afraid of it too. Isn't something scary fun? Right? When it's a little scary is when it's the funnest. It's when we overcome those fears and we try it a little bit. We discover that we can do it. We want to see, by God's grace, we are visioning an army of soul-winning Bible students here at Reaching Hearts. Young people and the like sharing the Bible to win their neighbors, their friends to Jesus. So God seeks out a man in a chariot so another man can share the Word of God with the man in need. Philip had only known Jesus for a short time, but he's an active soul winner in that short time. Look at Acts 8.32. Now the passage of the Scripture which he was reading was this. As a sheep led to the slaughter or a lamb before its shears is dumb, so he opened not its mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life was taken up from the earth. This is the text about Jesus dying on the cross as the Lamb of God. It describes his sacrifice. The eunuch was coming back from Jerusalem. No doubt one of the three great feasts was in play. There were sacrifices there. He was thinking. He was interacting with the Bible after having gone to church there. But he didn't get it. You see, you can know a whole lot about the Bible and not get what is the central message of the Bible. Jesus. And he was trying to connect the dots. And that's when Philip shows up. Acts 8.34, And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, pray, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? The eunuch is asking the right question because the Holy Spirit is working in his life. The Holy Spirit has a way of making an evangelist's job easy if you follow the right road, if you're on the right road. Philip's job was to proclaim the Word and to explain it. It was the Holy Spirit's job to work on that man's heart to prepare the right person for that encounter. Notice that Philip doesn't do anything that manipulates the man. Have you ever been in an evangelistic meeting where you've seen an evangelist manipulating people to be baptized? I have. I don't like that. Paul says we renounce disgraceful methods as preachers of the gospel. I believe that when someone is ready to be baptized, they will choose to align their life with Jesus Christ. doesn't mean they're perfect. But they will not be saying, well, I want to get by with this, I want to get by with that. They will say the cross is so important to me, I will do the right things by God. And when they say that with a whole heart, they're ready for baptism. It may take 30 studies with a person like that, or five, depending on where their heart is at. And so the gospel teacher works with that person until the Holy Spirit gives evidence it's time to baptize. I like this one verse. It's huge in what it says. Acts 8.35, Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the Scripture, he told him the good news of Jesus. There you have the apostolic gospel in play, the good news man sharing what it's all about. There are three successful steps outlined here in Philip's simple approach for personal evangelism that is a sacred progression in winning souls for Christ. We shouldn't read this verse too fast. Step number one, Philip opened his mouth. Now that's the first step. You can't win anyone, friend, unless you're willing to tell them about Jesus. You cannot be a silent witness for Jesus. Christ says, the one who is ashamed of me, I will deny him before my angels and the Father. We must speak of Jesus because Jesus is important to us. Philip opened his mouth. That's step number one. Step number two, Philip started sharing Jesus with the aid of the Scriptures. We hear all kinds of methodologies, all kinds of experts. Well, what we need to do is to have this church planning program. We need to have this kind of music. I'm for good music. Don't misunderstand me. But that's not what happens here. He opened his Bible. 
He began to explain the Bible the eunuch had in his hand. It was a Bible-centered form of personal evangelism. Men and women are starving in this world, and they aren't starving in this world for philosopher kings who will give them some nonsense that matters not and for eternal life. Men and women are starving in this world for the knowledge of salvation in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And we should be in the business of preachers, soul winners, deacons, servants in the church of sharing Jesus with our friends and neighbors. They need you, friend, to stand in their chariot and explain to them the Bible at the desk or somewhere at work or wherever you're at. Step number three, Philip told the eunuch the good news of Jesus. He didn't speak about some higher power in mystical terms. He didn't get philosophical. He just told him about Jesus. There's power in the name of Jesus to change lives. He didn't talk about the latest theory of physics or the politics at Jerusalem or the state of the church in Samaria. He left all that out. Philip told that man about Jesus. Friends, your neighbors, your friends, your family, they are starving to hear Jesus, to see Jesus in you. Let's review. Number one, what did Philip do? He opened his mouth. Number two, what did he do? He started with the Scriptures, the Bible. He used the Bible. Number three, Philip shared who? Jesus. That combination is God's way for reaching the world. There's a fourth element. It's found in verse 36, element number four. Step number four, they spent time together becoming friends around the Word of God. They were in the chariot together. Friendship evangelism. A chariot was the closest thing to a hot rod in the ancient world. Philip's name means lover of horses. He was in the chariot with a wealthy Ethiopian. Those were horses that could take you from Ethiopia to Jerusalem and back. I mean, he had never been in a place like that. He stayed in that chariot. I imagine he says, well, we got five hours left in the day. Let's have a long Bible study today. Can I have the reins and play with the chariot a little bit? It was a hot rod. He was no hurry to get out of that chariot. Acts 8.36, And as they went along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? Now certain things can prevent a person from being baptized. It's a sin to baptize people who aren't ready, if you know that. But I want everyone to be ready for being baptized. And you know, you know they're ready, and I know they're ready when they have surrendered to Christ. I have baptized people who've had serious issues after. That's not the point. God will work with serious issues. There must be a surrender to Jesus that's palpable. And when you see it, that person is ready for the waters of baptism. I think it's very possible that an angel put that baptistry out there in the middle of the desert because the angel had said there's nothing out there. And suddenly there's this body of water that you can baptize in, probably beamed down from heaven just for the Ethiopian eunuch. No sprinkling here. The ancients didn't sprinkle. Second century, the Didache, we find that the excuses given for baptism was sprinkling because there was not much water around. The angel made sure there was water in that desert place because we shouldn't be going by the Didache, a second century post-apostolic document. We should be going by the New Testament. They took him to water to baptize him. Verse 37, and Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may be baptized. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now that's the kind of thing that gets you in the water. Notice how the story now shifts to the man's confession. 
The man made a decision to be baptized. No doubt Philip told him about baptism by immersion like Jesus did. Philip cleared him for baptism by making sure that he was fully converted to Jesus Christ. I like what the eunuch said next. He said, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You know, how can we say that in our lives? I'm going to make a suggestion here, and I'm not trying to step on any toes. I'm trying to instruct. I often hear prayers that go like this. Great, beautiful prayers, and at the end by saying, in thy name. You ever hear that? In thy name, amen. Jesus told us to pray in whose name? In his name. If we pray in his name, the Father will hear us. Now, while that may be mechanical for some, it's meaningful to me. There is nothing sweeter than the name of Jesus. Because the name of Jesus moves the throne of the universe. Pastor Michael Oxentenko will be back in just a moment. Reaching Your Heart is a listener-funded program. We step out in faith to purchase airtime on this station because we believe God is working through this radio ministry to touch tens of thousands of lives. Each of our messages is prayed over, biblical messages of hope and Bible truth. To continue, we need your support. We do not have a large ministry fundraising machine. We operate totally by faith. Call our toll-free number to make your contribution of any size today. That number is 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Here now, once again, Pastor Michael Oxentenko. Because the name of Jesus moves the throne of the universe. The name of Jesus breaks the hardest heart. The name of Jesus transforms a sinner and puts him into the place where he becomes a saint. The name of Jesus makes devils flee and demons despair because the name of Jesus is the sweetest, most powerful name in the universe. And that man said, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. No half-hearted confession, a full, deep confession in who Jesus is. In Jesus' name we should pray. I don't know about you, but I don't ever get tired of the message of John 3.16. I'm using the Revised Standard. I learned it as a child. For God so loved the world. You can read it with me. What does it say? For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Let's go to the next verse. For God sent the Son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. That is the Magna Carta of the Christian faith. That is the center of why we gather in church. It's why we should have worship services. It should motivate us with no other object in mind. God is out to save the whosoever of John 3.16. Philip said, you can be baptized if you believe with all your heart. And the eunuch said, I believe that Jesus is Son of God. Whole heart people will be in the kingdom of God. The man confessed Jesus. He didn't have to be pressed to be baptized because he got his life in order in that chariot. He got into the water to prove it. The chariot stopped and he got baptized that day because he believed in Jesus with his whole heart. He let those sins go. There wasn't a crowd around that day like there was in Samaria. The apostles didn't show up to lay hands on him. These two people in the middle of nowhere in a baptistry probably brought there supernaturally by an angel. The angels, though, were there. I mean, there were vultures in the desert. You can imagine vultures flying over the baptistry. Angels flying over the vultures, unseen. Verse 38, And he ordered the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip 
as well as the eunuch. Now, how does sprinkling work here? How can you sprinkle someone? The Bible says they went down into the water. Real Bible baptism means you go under because sprinkling doesn't represent the gospel. Real Bible baptism means you're buried with Christ, according to Romans chapter 6. You are raised with Christ, according to Romans 6. It represents the death and resurrection of Jesus, the burial in between. And so a believer dies in Christ. The judgment occurs against sin. His sins are buried as Christ was buried. He rises from the water, justified as Christ was justified in the resurrection, according to Romans 4, 25, accepted by God because of Christ. Objective salvation becomes the basis of a subjective relationship with Christ. And so the gospel is the heart and kernel of what it means to be baptized. When a person sprinkles someone, when a minister of the gospel, sprinkles someone and refuses to baptize them by immersion, he is denying the gospel in that believer's experience. Every believer must be baptized by immersion. So it says, they went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord. Now, see, as soon as someone comes out of the water and they have gone in with a whole heart, they have fully surrendered to the Lord. When they come out of the water, the Holy Spirit shows up at baptism. The Spirit of the Lord, it says, snatched Philip away. He's in the water. Now think about this. Philip's in the water. The eunuch's in the water. He's just baptized, and they come out of the water. Philip never steps out of the water. He flies out of the water. He's snatched up out of the water. And this scene reminds me of Jesus' baptism. You know, Jesus is on the River Jordan. He's, he's baptized, right? And he comes out. The Holy Spirit comes down like a dove. Similar except Jesus walked out of the Jordan. Not so with Philip. The Holy Spirit came down, not so much like a dove, but more like an airliner, and whooshed him out of the water and took him in the sky far away. That Ethiopian eunuch said, what a baptism. Man, alive. What happened to me today? In verse 39, And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit snatched Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, but went on his way rejoicing. The dove came down like an airplane. The Holy Spirit swooshed him away in front of the task. Philip was guided by angels. And the Holy Spirit, to meet the man, the one man, in a lonely place that no one was going to. And that eunuch never knew that Philip was a man because Philip didn't say, by the way, I'm a human being. He didn't say that. No doubt that eunuch went back to Ethiopia and spoke of the strange angel that loved his horses that rode in the chariot and that stayed in it so long, that shared with him the message from the book of Isaiah and how he flew away at his baptism. I mean, those Ethiopians, they hadn't been to Jerusalem. They hadn't met the apostles. When they heard that story, they said, baptize us too. And so the message spread in Ethiopia. The angel, the man that led him to Christ, just flew away. God wanted to impress upon the eunuch that heaven sent the good news man, and so heaven can take him away. Evangelists aren't meant to stay. The gift of evangelism is a gift that moves around in the church. Pastors stay. Local deacons minister. Pastors work local communities. Evangelists have a more global giftedness. When Philip pinched himself, he was somewhere else that day, and the eunuch was a Christian man. God had worked his work. Verse 40, But Philip found himself at Azotos, and as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. Azotos was a coastal city. It was called Ashdod in the Old Testament. It was given to the tribe of Judah when Joshua conquered Palestine. The Greeks conquered it eventually, and the Romans conquered the Greeks. The Romans called it Hipponus, H-I-P-P-O-N, 
O-S, and it means of the horsemen. It was the city of horses. Philip's name in Greek means lover of horses. The good news man was the lover of horses, and he left the chariot and the horses of the Ethiopian eunuch, and God exported him to a city of horses so the man with the name could win that city for Jesus Christ. The Bible said Philip preached the gospel to all the cities. He didn't pick and choose which one. He didn't say, well, you know, we need a $3 million study to see who will respond to the word of God. He didn't even waste his money on nonsense like that. He said, there's cities out there I'm going to preach to everyone, and I'll leave the studies up to God. Because when the word goes, people respond. He just preached. Verse 40 says, he came to Caesarea, which is north of Azotos, and there he settled down. Now that's the place we read in Acts where he had the daughters. That was his home. And he raised these four Christian daughters who never married, so far as we know, who became prophets without husbands in the early church. Philip loved his daughters. He loved his city, his home. He loved every place he had worked for Christ. And Philip is proof, dear heart, that a Christian deacon in the church, we're not talking about a minister here, a deacon in the church can make a mighty difference for the cause of God. Philip is the good news man. I say this prayerfully. May God give us many deacons and deaconesses in this place, just like Philip. Well, that will conclude The Good News Man. Today's Reaching Your Heart with Pastor Michael Oxentenko. Don't forget you can find this and many more messages online at reachingyourheart.com. That's reachingyourheart.com, and thank you for listening today. Are you fascinated by the prophecies of Revelation? Have you wished that you could understand prophecy better? Do the symbols of the Bible's last book baffle you? God's last altar call is just the book you need. Mark Finley clearly explains the events soon to unfold in this world. Be sure to call today for your copy. It's yours for a donation of any size. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for listening. Your donations keep this ministry on the air. 855-888-4673 is the telephone number to call. 855-888-4673. 855-888-4673. Or reachingyourheart.com. Thanks for listening today. And as always, we do pray that God is reaching your heart.